Well, good morning. We want to welcome you here today. We're glad you're here, particularly the uh, baby dedications here on the South Hills uh, campus, and uh, we appreciate all the families uh, being here. As you know, uh, this is a service that is streamed live to our Washington campus and our Robinson campus, and uh, it's always great to have uh, everyone together uh, listening to God's Word, and uh, just uh, we appreciate everything going on in, in Washington uh, and Robinson as well. I want to remind you that here in the Southfields campus, uh, 6.30 tomorrow night is our prayer time, so we encourage you to come to that. It's a great time to get together and pray for the many things going on here in our church. And one other thing for all campuses, I want to remind you and invite you to uh, a trip to Israel. We're going to be taking a trip to Israel uh, March the 31st through April the 9th. It's right before Easter in 2014. And so we encourage you to be a part of that. You can go on our website and find out information. It's going to be a fun time and a great time. You can go and look at the itinerary, and we want to encourage you uh, to be a part of that. We're involved in a series of sermons we titled Family Under Attack. And our purpose in this series is first to make sure we understand what the issues are from a biblical standpoint regarding marriage and family. But not only understand with our mind, we want to apply these things. It's one thing to know something. Uh, it's yet another thing to actually do it. We don't want this to be a one-time-a-week uh, 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 event for you to come and sing songs and, and listen to a message and then go out. We have devotionals that will come to you right to your inbox every morning. You can sign up for those. We have this book uh, we've done on the issue. You can pick it up at the bookstore or online. <clears throat> uh, Tunchokin and I uh, are doing a series called Biblical Manhood that's being played on the uh, uh, radio right now. You can also go to oneplace.com and pick it up anytime on the internet. So we want uh, to put out as many resources as we can because we think this is just a critical, critical topic for all of us. To this point, uh, we have looked at God's design for family. It all starts with God. We want to know how God, what God says regarding the design of the family. We've looked at biblical sexuality. Uh, we've looked at uh, attack on the foundation, divorce. We looked at that last week. Next week, we're going to look at, uh, next time, we're going to look at homosexuality. And today, I want to address um, something I believe is, is attacking the structure of God's design, and that is um, something that's really epi uh, epidemic, um, living together before marriage. Today, 50% of couples who get married will have lived together prior to marriage. I want to address three groups of people today. First, I want to address couples living together. I honestly don't know who you are, but I have no doubt that, uh, that uh, you're here. And I want you to know uh, we are glad you're here. And we love you, and we care for you, and we're concerned about you, and we're concerned enough about your future to speak uh, truth to you. We want to help you any way we can. I want to address uh, this morning's comments to, to parents uh, we can't make all the decisions for our kids, and we know our kids are going to make some decisions that we don't agree with. But particularly when our kids are young, we want to show them, model as a mom and a dad, right, husband and wife, we want to show them what it looks like to have a healthy marriage, so they'll want to have one as well. Again, they're going to make some decisions in the best case scenario that uh, we don't agree with. But we need to teach these truths to our kids. It's not the school teacher or the youth pastor's responsibility. Your kids are your responsibility. You're the parent. 
And then the last group I want to address is, um, are, are, are those of you of any age who are not married? Uh, you may have never been married, you may have been divorced, and you're not married now. And um, I just want to, I want to encourage you not to go down this path of living together, even though there's going to be a lot of pressure for you to do so. So let's pray and ask God for His help as we look at these uh, truths from Scripture today. Father, we thank You that You're a God who designed marriage and family. We thank You that You not only designed it, but You gave us instruction for it. And uh, we, uh, we know, Lord, that uh, relationships are hard. And we need Your strength and we need Your help in. We uh, need to do it Your way in order to get the strength and the help we need. So be with us today as we look at Your Word. Teach us as only you can do. Speak to our hearts as only you can speak to our hearts. My words will fall on deaf ears unless you do your work. And so I pray, Lord, that you uh, speak to each person. And now, Father, uh, we want to pray together. Here in the South Hills in Washington and Robinson, we want to pray together as your Son, our Savior, taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. All right, five things, five things you need to know about living together before marriage. Number one, from a human standpoint, from a human standpoint, living together seems to make sense, right? You agree with that? I don't care if you agree or not, that's my first point. Uh, from (laughs) From a human standpoint... Living together seems to make sense. So you take the Bible for a second and put it right there. Let's not worry about it for a second. Just from a human standpoint, there are are three reasons. There are many more, but three reasons that couples give for living together. Number one, practice period. I mean, if you bought a car, would you buy it without taking a test drive? Anything in life demands some practice. Before you get your driver's license, you have to put in some practice time. Usually robbing years of life off your parents who are there with you. I'm teaching our last one how to drive a stick. I don't know what's going to go first, the clutch or my neck. Not for certain. (laughs) Marriage is risky business, and we live in a culture of divorce. 50% of all those who get married today are going to get divorced. So in that culture of divorce, it makes sense from a human standpoint to get a little practice in. Pamela Smock, a researcher from the University of Michigan, said cohabitating young adults tell us that they are doing so, listen to this, they are doing so because it would be unwise to marry without first living together in a society marked by high levels of divorce. For many people, marriage is now the best relationship and highly valued as a relationship. It's wait until we know the relationship is good and solid and then we'll get married. Here's another reason, not only a practice period, but convenience. Many couples live together because of convenience. There's the economic convenience. 
uh, paying for uh, splitting the rent is better than paying for two apartments or two homes. There's the convenience of a ready and willing sex partner. And there's the, there's the, there's the convenience of, of simplifying a busy and complicated and complex world that we live in. I mean, you live on the north side, and I live in the south hills, and we don't want to cross the bridges in between because you have to have a passport to do that, right? So let's just move in together, and let's simplify our life. Here's the third reason. Scarred and scared. Travis Anderson lived with his girlfriend for two and a half years before they got married, and he said the main reason he did was because of his parents' divorce. Listen to what he told USA Today. We took our time in getting engaged. We wanted to make sure it was right. Living together can always be undone. The marriage part of it, we see a little differently. At least he's taking marriage seriously. I definitely don't want to be the person who had to tell the child that he was moving out. Scarred and scared. Scott Stanley is a writer at the University of Denver at the Center for Marital and Family Studies. And he said this, people want what marriage signifies, the sense of us with the future. But because of the high rate of divorce for the past decades, there is really a crisis in confidence about the institution of marriage. So from a strictly human standpoint, putting the Bible down here for a minute, from a strictly human standpoint, living together seems to make sense. But there's a problem. There's a problem. Here's the second point. The odds for couples who live together are not good. The very thing that seems to make sense from a human standpoint doesn't make sense from a scriptural standpoint. And so when we do it anyway, our odds are not good. Listen to these living together statistics. The majority of couples that live together either break up or marry within two years. Now, that says something about the power of marriage. 90% of, of couples who live together, they, they want to get married, either to the person they're with at that point or someone else. Nine out of ten say, hey, we want to get married. We just want to check it out first. So within two years, they've either called it quits or they've called a preacher. But when they get married, they find out that they've taken a damaging shortcut. And the very thing they wanted to ensure against is exacerbated. Check this out. The rate of divorce in cohabitating couples is 50% higher than couples who have not lived together before marriage. It makes sense from a human standpoint, right? So let's try this out. Take a test drive. The very thing they didn't want to happen is 50% higher when they live together. Here's the most telling statistic of all. After 10 years, only 15 out of 100 couples who live together are still together. 15 out of 100. Now, if you're living together... Together, let that soak in. 85% of you will not celebrate your 10th anniversary. 
And by that time, you're going to have some kids in the mix and drag them through the hell of divorce. Parents, would you send your kids to a college where 85% of the students didn't graduate? You're sitting in an airport ready to board a flight, right? When you laugh before I get to the punchline... I'll say it anyway. We are ready to board flight 999 to Las Vegas. We are proud to say that in the last 10 years, 85 times out of 100, this flight has crashed. Do you really want to invest time, your body, your heart, your life, your money, and your kids? in something that has an 85% failure rate? 85% failure rate? Number three. Living together seems to make sense. But it doesn't work. Why is that? Living together doesn't work, number three, because it ignores the biblical love package. Let me show you from Scripture why living together is not in God's plan. Song of Solomon, I'm going to go through it uh, quickly, is a book uh, that addresses the passionate love between a a husband and a wife. And in the book of Song, uh, Song of Solomon, there are three words, three Hebrew words, that describe the three essential components of of a strong marriage relationship, of a biblical love package, we'll call it. The first one is the Hebrew word ria. It means uh, spirit love. Friendship It is often translated. Friendship. A healthy, God-honoring Christian relationship does not begin uh, the evening in a bar and wake up the next morning in a bed. Foundation to a biblical love package is ria. Friendship. It's first found in Scripture, but it is supported by secular research. In one secular study conducted with couples in all stages of their marriage relationship, couples were asked to list a a rank of possible goals for their relationship. And the single most important goal was to have a what? A friend in one's partner. In another study aimed at determining why singles get married, 84% said friendship is the primary reason In another study, talking to those who had just been divorced, those who had just gone through divorce, I don't want to be with you anymore, said, it felt like I lost my best friend. Now that's not surprising, is it? Because God said it's not good for the man to be what? Alone. I want to make a a helper suitable for him. I'm going to make someone to meet his needs, and he meet her needs, and they're going to come together in this spirit love, this friendship. When you have a real friend in your spouse, you have a loyal companion. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times. Unconditional. Here's the second part of the biblical love package. Not only friendship, but commitment. The Hebrew word yahav, it means heart love. Often in the 
Song of Solomon, it is it's translated, the one my heart loves. In uh, Song of Solomon 2.5, um, the wife says, I am faint with love. I'm lovesick. This is a love of commitment. This is a love that gives your heart away. This is a love that says, I, I want to be with you forever. Let's plan our future together. Let's have children together. Let's grow old together. Let's write our life story together. Yaham is a, a love of loyal dedication, commitment. I'm going to be with you come hell or high water. One more part of the love package. Friendship, commitment, and anybody guess what the last one is? You just don't want to say it. Sex. Body love, the Hebrew word dod. In, in Hebrew, the word dod refers to the physical act of making love, literally to caress, to rock, to fondle, to embrace, to consummate. Friendship, commitment, sexual intimacy, three parts of the biblical love package. Now, why does living together have an 85% failure rate? Because it doesn't contain those three essentials of love. See, living together is an attempt at friendship focused on sex without commitment. Living together is an attempt at friendship it's focused on sex without commitment. Now, it's true that couples who live together have sex more often than married couples. You'd expect that because sex is the primary component of their relationship. But while sex is more frequent in couples who live together than married couples, all research shows that married sex is better. Married sex is always more satisfying. You see, in the, in the marriage package, sex is a sacred union, exclusive to one other person, a continual symbol of commitment. Every time a husband and wife come together in intimacy, they are saying, I would marry you all over again. I love you. I'm committed to you. I'm giving myself to you. I stood at an altar and I said, I would love you for better or worse, richer for poor, in sickness and in health. And man, I'm proving it again. When you live together, that commitment is absent. Friendship's compromised. And so sex is the main thing you have going. And when sex is the only thing you have going, there is a pressure to perform. You see, in marriage, the anxiety of failure and sexual intimacy is decreased because we're committed to each other. We, we, have, we have time to work this out. We have time to grow and mature in this area of our life. And we're going to have a great time doing it. But when you're living together, you better, you better be pretty good every time. Because he might just say, I think I'm going to check out somebody else. I'm not committed to you. I'm not willing to do that. So I'm going to move on. Go find someone else who can satisfy my needs. Number four. The wedding day is anticlimactic. I spoke to an acquaintance not long ago who lived with his girlfriend, and then he had gotten married. 
and I saw him after they got married, and when I congratulated him, he said, thanks, nothing really changed. See, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, where marriage is instituted, this verse is repeated by Jesus in the Gospels, by Paul in his letter to the Ephesians. That's why a man, this is why a man leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. To this point, Moses has talked about the man and the woman and God uh, uh, making them for each other, a helper suitable for each other. And then Moses takes a pause. You could put a parenthesis around Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And Moses says, hey, everyone. Remember, he's writing what's happened in history. Now he's saying, hey, everybody, this is why we do what we do. This is why we do marriage. This is why a man leaves his father and mother united to his wife and they become one flesh in a public ceremony. In the Old Testament, there were two parts to marriage. The first one was, first part was the caducian. It was the engagement. This is what Mary and Joseph were, were in, the engagement. They were committed to each other. They didn't live together. They didn't have uh, sexual intimacy, but they were committed to each other. And then the hoopah was the wedding. And so the day of the, 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 day the hoopah started, the, the the groom would get all his guys together and they would have tambourines and they would have a band and they would go through with loud music throughout the town. They'd let everyone know, man, a hoopah is going to take place. A wedding is going to take place. And they would go to the bride's house and she was there in her beautiful dress adorned with jewels, all her companions with her. And then, and then that group would follow uh, the guys to the groom's house. And then there, there would be a week of celebration, an entire week of celebration. There'd be songs. There'd be speeches given. There was laughter. There was plenty to eat. There was drink. There was dancing. And then check this out. At the end of the hoopah, the parents, the parents escorted the bride to the bridal chambers. That's how significant it was. And the two consummated their union, one flesh relationship. You see, a wedding is a public celebration of commitment. Do you, think it's, do you think it's by chance that the first miracle Jesus performed was at a what? A wedding. He was there celebrating, putting his stamp of approval on this thing called marriage. Remember what he says to the woman at the well? When she said, I'll go back and tell my husband, he said, yeah, you've had five husbands. But the man you live with now is not your husband. And Jesus wasn't saying that in a positive light. You see, marriage means something. In the Old Testament, it meant something. In the New Testament, it meant something. And still today, it means something. It is more than just a piece of paper. It's coming together, inviting friends and family to witness the fact that out of all the people in the entire universe, you chose each other to vow and commit your life to, for better or worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, faithful to each other as long as you both shall live. You didn't have to do that. No one made you do that. You volunteered to do it. And you're inviting these people in. And then you get people to stand with you, maid or matron of honor, best man, to witness your commitment to each other. Now, the sad part is today, we spend a lot of time planning the wedding, 
but not so much time preparing for the marriage. And we got to have the right, you know, wedding and the right date and the right reception and an exotic honeymoon when we spend little time preparing for what's going to happen the day you get back. Marriage means something. And we should have a room, the guest list. Man, those guest lists are hard to do, aren't they? You should have a guest list of people who love you and care for you and are committed to you and will keep you accountable. Uncle Bob, on his fifth marriage, who may bring his live-in girlfriend, cut him off the list. He doesn't deserve to come. It's kind of harsh, isn't it? But hey, you got to make some cuts somewhere, right? Your best man and your maid or matron of honor, that should, and, and, your, and your groomsmen and what do you call the bridesmaids, yeah, thanks. Um, they shouldn't be like your best sorority sisters and your fraternity brothers. They should be people who, who, who value marriage. And the ideal situation, the ideal situation should be the maid or matron of honor and the best man call you up every month and say, hey, I stood with you. I was a witness to your vows. Are you still keeping them? How's your marriage doing? Are you nurturing your marriage? Are you working on your marriage? Because remember, I stood with you. I witnessed it. I signed my name. Marriage is a public celebration of commitment. But when you live together, what's it about? Really? What's it about? One last thing. So, you say, we're living together. What should we do? Well, first, own up to the truth that while what you're doing may be culturally acceptable, it is wrong and it is sin. Sexual immorality is sin. You're satisfying your desires and not God's. You want Him to bless your marriage, but you're not willing to do it His way. God is forgiving, and He is gracious, and He can redeem our past, thankfully, because all of us are sinners. And sin has consequences. Galatians 6, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. You see, you're on a road to, you're on a road to heartbreak. If not now, years from now. And the first step is repentance, to say to God, like David said in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned. You're the designer of marriage. This is not your design. This is not the way you would have me do it. I am sorry for what I'm doing. That's number one. Number two, physically separate. Live apart for at least six months. For your sake and the sake of your children, you need to settle in your heart and mind, does he really love me or does he just want what I'm giving him? Does she really love me or does she just want 
just emotionally tied to relationship. You got to determine if you're going to do this thing the right way. And you can't do that when you're living together. You need to make sure your relationship is based on the right things. And if you have a wedding plan, you can cancel that thing. You can postpone it. Because you need to find out, young woman, if that guy really respects you enough to separate. Well, so we get that. We're going to stop sleeping together but continue to live in the same house. Well, it's not a bad first step. Okay? I'll give that to you. But it's not really living above reproach, is it? And secondly, oh, let's face it. You're going to be really tempted a lot. It'd be like an alcoholic saying, I'm an alcoholic, but I'm going to go hang out at the bar. Why? Why, why put yourself in that situation? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul doesn't say, hey, embrace, you know, get as close to sex. You know, we know you're going to do it right, but just get as close to sexual immorality as you possibly can. He didn't say that, does he? What's he say? Flee sexual immorality. Get away from it. But, but, if, we, but if we separate, it's really going to be a hassle. Well, let me break some news to you. Marriage is a hassle. <laughs> Marriage is hard work. And if you're not willing to do the hard work now, then I'm not going to place any bets on you that you're going to be willing to do the hard work later. Next, so you know it's wrong, you separated, then seek premarital counsel. You know what? Go to our website, and, uh, and, you, and, and there's, an, there's a whole process on there, and we would count it a privilege to walk with you through this thing. You do it God's way, we count it a privilege to do that with you. And thank God He redeems, and He restores, and He forgives. Man, then you can plan a wedding. Here's the last thing. You can plan a wedding with family and friends as a testimony that you're doing this thing right. You've not always done it right. No one has. But you're doing it right now. You're doing it God's way. A couple things. You say, okay, Ron, we've lived together. We're in year five, and your statistics are scaring us. They should. You started your relationship on a very shaky foundation. And so now, knowing what you know, you need to go make sure you shore up that foundation. You need to go back and get the, the marriage counseling you need. You need to go and commit your relationship to the Lord. And you need to get before Him as a couple and say, God, I am sorry we did it. And I am scared of the statistics. And I do not want to be a statistic. We don't want to be a statistic. And we don't want our little baby to be part of that statistic either. 
And we want to do this thing your way. And we're going to go to a weekend to remember. Or we're going to go to a marriage enrichment class. Or we're going to do something to make sure we're doing this right. Our foundation is a little shaky. We get that. But we're going to shore it up. And we're going to make sure that 30 years from now we're together. That's our commitment. Some of you say, well, ha-ha, we beat the odds. We just celebrated our 11th anniversary. So there. Well, congratulations. Get on your knees every day and thank God for His grace. Thank God for His work in your life. Thank God you're still together and do everything you need to do to stay together. And please don't be offended if I don't use you as an example for the right way to do marriage. Thank God for His grace. You see, sooner or later, sooner or later, every part of human love will disappoint us. Friendship will be strained in the best marriage. Commitment will be tested. And, and, and every lover's touch at some point will fail to satisfy. See, see, deep in the human heart, we long for something more. There's this deep hole in our heart that can only be filled by God himself. We desire the lover of our souls. Don't ever expect another person to do what only God can do. Don't ever put on your husband or wife the unrealistic expectation that he or she can meet your needs, the the need that only God can meet, to, to feel that deep satisfaction of your heart. But here's the deal. If you want to do it God's way, you have to play by God's rules. If you want God to meet the deepest need of your heart, you have to follow His instruction. You can't say, God, I really want all your blessings, but I'm not willing to follow your instruction for marriage. It just doesn't work. Focus on immediate satisfaction and happiness is selfish and it will destroy a marriage. But commitment to obedience, and obedience is hard. Commitment to obedience reaps blessing both now and in the future. So Father, we come before you. Every one of us admitting that we are sinners to the core, saved only by your grace. I pray for couples who are here today and they're living together. Father, I pray that uh, you would speak to their heart because anything I have said has been, uh, has been just um, jettisoned unless you are at work. I pray you, you would give them the courage to do what's right 
to separate, to abstain from sexual intimacy, to make sure that uh, they are the ones for each other. Father, um, give them the courage and the help they need. And I pray that among their friendship group, you use them as a tremendous light for what they're going to do. But I pray for us parents. Man, parenting is a heavy responsibility. And our kids are going to make decisions that we, that we, uh, we wish they wouldn't make. Sometimes we've, we've told them about those things all their lives, and yet they still make the decisions. So, Father, give us this, give us this uh, show us where the balance is between this unconditional love, which we, we have for our kids, and, and reminding them of who you are in your word in relationships. Lord, that's a tough balance. That's a tough line to walk, and we're going to need your discernment on that one. I pray, Lord, for those who are not married, and uh, they, live in a, they live in a culture uh, where they are in the minority. And I know many here have, are surrounded by friends who are living together, think nothing of it. Lord, continue to give them courage. Continue to give them your strength. Continue to give them your help. Help them to, as we, as we prayed uh, here in the South Hills campus for those babies, help them to stand firm even if they have to stand alone. And I pray, Father, you would, uh, you would just give them a peace in their heart knowing that they are following your instruction. Thank you for this great gift of marriage. Help us to do it your way. Help us to do it your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.